One of the things that we most often need in our lives, besides air, water, food, perhaps, those basic lists of necessities, one of the things that we most often need in our lives is direction. We need direction. There are times we come to, basically, we come to, what do they call it? Proverbial fork in the road. Which way should we go? Which job should we take? Which car should we buy? Where should we go to eat? On and on and on. We need direction. Amen? We're living in a world with so many choices. And sometimes it's hard to tell which is the right choice, which is the right direction. Should I go to the right? Should I go to the left? And there are so many voices. There's so many choices and there's so many voices telling us which way to go. Some of the voices point this way. Go, go, go over here, do this, buy this, live here, do this with your life. Other voices telling you to do the opposite, the exact opposite thing. They point all over and it can be downright confusing sometimes. As believers, we know that God has a perfect will and plan for us for the world, that he ordained a, a will, a plan for the world before the foundation, before he laid the foundation of the earth. We find out in Revelation that the plan of salvation, the gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ would be the Lamb of God that would come into the world, that was planned way before the foundation of the earth was ever put in place. And not only does he have a perfect plan for this world, but he has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. He has a plan for every single person on the face of the earth. So with that in mind, we must seek the leading of the Lord. You don't know which way to go. You don't know which choice. We need the leading of the Lord. The voice that we need to be listening to is that still small voice that whispers from Behind it says, go this way, go this way. The voice of the Spirit is who we need to be listening to. We need to be listening to the voice of our Lord and Savior who speaks so powerfully to us through his word. We need the leading of the Lord. And so we must seek the Lord. We must seek his leading and direction in our lives. This is something that we need to, to seek out, look to, to ask, Lord, what do you have for us? What direction is it that you want us to go? I think one of the foundational principles of understanding for the believer is this, to understand that the Lord is our shepherd. Amen? The Lord is our shepherd. And what does a shepherd do for the sheep? He, he's the leader of the sheep. He's the one that's going to lead the sheep to where they need to go. He's the one that's going to lead them to where they can have pasture to, to feed on and to graze. He's going to lead them to the waters and to, to have what they have need of. He's going to lead them in such a way to keep them from danger and to keep them on the way, on the path. And so I thought it might be good to, to just to take a look at and remind ourselves of that famous passage in the psalm, Psalm 23, and perhaps... Most of you here tonight could quote it. You maybe even have it um, on, on like a needlepoint, you know, something from grandma, like hanging in, the, in, the, in her house or your house. It's been passed down or whatever. But anyways, the 23rd Psalm, it says this, The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Just right off the bat, the psalmist acknowledges that he says, the Lord is my shepherd. We've got to realize he's my shepherd. Sometimes we say, well, the Lord should be your shepherd. The Lord should be, needs to be, he, you're not being led by the Lord. Wait a second, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. What? He takes care of you. He's going to lead you to sustenance. He's going to lead you to, to times of refreshing. He's going to lead you to, to, to a place of peace. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He restores my soul. Where are you looking for restoration in your life? Is it something out there? Is it something, if I just had this, that's going to restore. That's going to bring that restoration to my life. Wait a second. The Lord is my shepherd, and he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me in the right way. What's righteousness? Righteousness is right, rightness, doing right, walking right, living right, being right. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And so... And he does it for his name's sake. I love that. You know, what's, what's this whole thing about? It's for God's glory. It's for his name's sake. Yes. And we're committed to him. And we've come under his banner. Amen? Yes. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. There will be times when we'll go through tough times. We'll go through the valley of the shadow of death. It might even kind of be dark and it, it might be crowding in around us. It, it might be kind of, you know, a scary time. There might be those that would come against you, that would attack you, that, that would try to take something from you, to do you harm in your life, in your finances, in your, in your, in your area, in your living situation, your neighborhood, whatever it is. We know that if the Lord's our shepherd, that he's with us, even though we would go through the darkest of times. And, he, and, and the psalmist says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff? Yeah, the shepherd would have a rod and a staff. A rod. A, 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 a staff was that the staff that would kind of corral the sheep and kind of bring them in. The, the rod would actually be uh, used for, for discipline and and, and things, and we have to understand the, the correction of the Lord. We have to understand the discipline of the Lord. That that's something that we should be glad about. That we should be that we should be thanking God for. That you know, there's a proverb that talks about that, that we should you know that we should be people who um, embrace correction and not re, not uh, re, uh, just want to rebuff it and just say, oh no, I I don't want that. No, when God brings rebuke into our lives, when he brings reproof into our lives, we need to, to, to say, wow, these things are good for me. Look at the psalmist says, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isn't, and isn't that what the psychologist would even say? That the child that's out of control and going all over the place, they need just, they just want to be loved. They want to have that father, that mother that will correct them, that will, that will bring those boundaries into their life. 
And so we look to the rod, the staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He, he prepares a table before, before us in the presence of our enemies. He's going to take care of us. He's going to lead you to a place of provision, a place of where you have everything that you have need of, even in the face of assault, even in the place of oppression, even in the place, in the face of um, those that would come against you. And I love that closing verse. Surely goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. I was just back there during the worship and I was just thinking, wow, it's so great to just think about the goodness of the Lord. We need to think about the goodness of God all the time. We just need to think about it. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of God forever and ever. Okay, so with that in mind, that the Lord is our shepherd and he's the one that's gonna lead us, let's take this into... uh, Genesis 46. If you're taking notes tonight, God, the first point is this, God leads our lives. God leads our lives. Let's pick it up in Genesis 46, verse 1. So Israel, this is speaking of Jacob. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, And he said, here I am. And so he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. And then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives, in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. God is the one that's going to lead our lives. Amen? Again, I said in the opening, there's so many voices telling us which way to go, so many choices. And it can even be a simple choice like, well, you know, some of these choices, I mean, even buying a car, it's, we, we like to think of like, well, it's my decision. It's a, let the Lord lead you and guide you. Right. Man, God can do some incredible things. God can lead you to the right place, the right car, the one where it's going to be the right deal. You know, so, so don't just rule out, well, I got, God, thanks for salvation and all the goodness and mercy and all that great. I got everything else covered. No, leave it, leave it all to God. Let, ask him for everything, every leading and guidance. And so here we come to this chapter 46 where, where Israel has been invited to, to, to come down to Egypt, to bring the whole family in the midst of this famine, amidst, in the midst of this seven years of famine, Joseph has been made the governor of all of Egypt. He's the one that's been put the plan together so that, that, that uh, Egypt and the surrounding nations would not perish through this seven years of famine. And now 
the, the identity of Joseph has been revealed to the brothers and they have been sent back to go get dad and all the wives and the children and bring everybody back. And Pharaoh had sent all these provisions with them. Remember at the end of the last chapter, he sent them with just an abundance of, of grain and money and clothes and, and all kinds of stuff and even carts. Now, I don't know what kind of carts these were, you know, but, but you know, these were probably the best carts in the world, you know? I mean, it was, they were probably like the Teslas of the, of the you know, I don't know. You know, they, they, were, they, were the, they were the best carts that you could get. You know, these were the, the best of the best, right? And go get dad. Go get the family and bring everybody down to Egypt because we're going to dwell here. So Israel sent out on his journey to Egypt, and he sets out with everything that he has, and he stops in Beersheba. Beersheba was kind of like, you know, it's kind of like that last stop, like, you know, like if, if you were on the highway, you know, the, the, um, the Canaan, Egypt turnpike or something, you know, and it was kind of like that last, you know, rest area, that last stop before you'd go into Egypt. And so, you know, pretty much everybody would stop there. And so, you know, so they stopped in Beersheba and the text tells us that he makes a sacrifice to God. He stops to worship. He stops to worship. And when, if we're going to be people who are going to be led by God, God's going to be our leader, God's going to be our shepherd, we've got to be people who worship God. We've got to be worshipers of God. God is looking, Jesus said it this way, to the woman at the well, what, what's God looking for? God, God is looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. And if we're going to be people of God, we're going to be people led by God, we need to be people who are worshipers of God. And so Jacob brings a sacrifice. He, he stops to worship and pray, and it says to the God of his father Isaac. Israel, in this sense, you could say he wants to, he wants to make sure that this is the right thing to do. Of course, you have to remember here. Here he is about to, this is again the last exit. Last exit in Canaan. Next stop, Egypt. Okay, so let's make sure. Let's stop right here. Let's, let's, let's make a sacrifice. Let's worship God here. Let's find out if this is exactly what God wants him to do. Now, why would he do that? Why would he stop and, and, and make a sacrifice to God on this last exit before crossing over into Egypt? Because... God had promised his grandfather Abraham the land of Canaan to his descendants. He had, he had uh, given that as a face-to-face as -face covenant. He had also done that with his father Isaac, and he had given that same covenant to him. So this is something that has been passed down three generations, not just passed down, delivered personally by God. And so when God gives you a covenant, you have a covenant relationship with God. I think when you're going to do something, I think it's important to say, wait a second, is this, is this okay? Is this in line with the greater picture of what you're doing, God? Because there's a covenant here. There's a plan in place. There's a, there's a thing. There's, there's promises that have been made. There's things that have been promised. There's lands and all this. And now I'm going to leave the land, the very land that you promised? Hey, is this Okay. Is this, is this going to be good? We need to, we need to ask God about the decisions in our lives. We need to make sure that it's the right thing to do. There was, a, there was a, a, an Olympic runner um, from the United States back several few Olympics ago in, in the Summer Olympics, and a reporter 
ask this particular runner a question about her decision to complete to compete in the event in the in the in the Olympics. And, and this is what she said to the, the, the reporter. She flatly told the reporter, I don't make any decision until I prayed on it. Wow, what a testimony. Mm-hmm. To run in the Olympics. How about to whatever it is? This is a good example that this runner has laid down. This is a good example that Jacob has given to us that we need to pray and consult God on the decisions of our lives. Because things aren't always what they seem in life. Things are not always the way we perceive them to be. In other words, our perception of things can be wrong. We can look at something and we can, like everything on the surface of it looks like, hey, ding, 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 this is great over here, let's just do this, this is wonderful. And it may not be what it seem, seems. And we need, to be, we need to be people of God who hear the voice of the Lord, who hear the voice of the Spirit, to give us discernment in situations. We may be looking at it totally from a, you know, we're looking at it, you know, man, it looks great, looks wonderful, looks like this is the way to go. God, is this, is this it? Because the perception, our perception, might be wrong. There was the owner of a big company that rarely ever went down to the where, one of the warehouses of, of, of his big company. And, and on one particular day, he goes down to the warehouse where he saw a young man just standing there doing nothing in, in the warehouse. Everybody else running around doing work at his company, and he sees this young man just sitting there doing nothing. And he was waiting. And the owner went up to him and said, how much do we pay you a week? And the man said, $200 a week. And the owner said, well, here's $200. Now get out of here. You're through. And the owner went into the warehouse office and asked one of his managers who that man was and how long he had been working here. And the manager told him, oh, he doesn't work for us. He was just here to make a delivery for us. Right? So things aren't always what they seem. And I think it would be good for us to do some investigation. And there's no other better investigation than to go to the Lord, to take it to the Lord. I could go deeper here with going back to the tabernacle and the breastplate and the the stones and the umum and the thermum. These are two stones that would be actually placed inside the, the breast pocket of the breastplate. There were 12 stones on the outer part of the breastplate, but inside there was a little kind of a little cubby there. And there were two other stones. And these two stones were stones that they would inquire of the Lord. They were kind of the best explanation I have, and I have this actually laid out in my book. They were kind of like a yes and a no stone. And um, we see this actually in Revelation where we get the yes stone. And uh, so you see, see those of us who have come into the kingdom, we have the yes and the amen. All the promises are true. And so you had a yes stone and a no stone. And however the, the, the light would reflect and, and, and refract off from the candle, um, the candlelight of the, of the, of the, uh, the lampstand there, um, you, the, the, the high priest would get a, a yes or a no from the Lord. And, and we have that same opportunity to inquire of the Lord in his, in his temple. Amen? And so let's not, let's not take it, let's not, let's not not <laughs> take advantage. It's a double negative, right? So that's, you know, I just blew off several, several rules of public speaking and grammar and all kinds of stuff. All right? 
Let's take advantage of, of what we have, of the opportunities we have. I mean, look at us. We're the first people to, oh, we'll Google it. What about this? What about that? Oh, we'll Google it. How about got it? <laughs> Amen? How about we got it? How about we go to the throne room of God and ask for the yes or for the no? Amen. And you know what? I tell you what, if it's a no, I'll take a no from the Lord because I'll take the, the Lord sparing me from the bad decision. Amen? And sometimes I've gotten no's. And I said, hey, great, it's a no. We know this ain't the way. This, is, this isn't the direction that we need to go. So be happy with the no's. So Israel wanted to make sure going down to Egypt was the right thing to do. And, uh, and so he went to the Lord. Now, there, there's a passage in um, talking about a sacrifice, bringing the sacrifice to the Lord. One of the ways that you can know the will of the Lord in your life is to be that worshiper. And not only to be the worshiper, but literally to be the sacrifice, right? You know, we talk about bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, right? We bring a sacrifice, we used to sing this song, we bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, right? Well, you know what? There's a sacrifice of praise and then there's like the living sacrifice, which is you, you are the sacrifice. In fact, Paul put it this way in Romans 12. He said, you know, therefore, I, I, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of everything that God's done in, 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 in his plan of redemption and saving you, this is what you should do. Offer yourself, your body, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, for this is your reasonable worship. In fact, it says it this way in the Greek, this is your logikos worship. This is, your, this is the logical response to the mercy of God that has come in to your life and, 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 and given you life and grace and love and, and given you something to live for, given you a hope that, that, that will never disappoint you. And so, so giving your life, putting yourself up on the altar is the is the only logical response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's love and mercy, offer yourself, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. But then he goes on. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is the perfect will of the Lord. So how is it that you know the will of the Lord in your life? Well, I want to know. I want to know what the will of the Lord is. I want to know what the leading of God is in my life. You start by being a worshiper and you start by being the living sacrifice that is the only logical thing that you should do in response to the gospel. And when you do that in your life, when you become that living sacrifice for God, when you put yourself up on the altar and you say, God, I'm living for you and I'm not going to be trans, I'm not going to be conformed to the pattern of this world. I'm not going to let the world put me in its mold. Like jello. Remember when you're, you know, anybody still make jello molds? Anybody still have those under the cupboard? You open up the cupboard, all the Tupperware falls out into the floor. You're like, look, I'm just trying to find a bowl. I don't want to clean this up right now. 
right? My mom used to make this jello with multi-tiered, you know, different types of, you know, I don't know, right? But that jello was conformed into the pattern of that bowl, right? Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, and then you will be able to know what is the, the, the good and perfect, pleasing will of the Lord. So if you want to know what God's will is for your life, you need leading, you need guidance, you need direction in your life. Start by being a worshiper. Start by being a living sacrifice. Start by concentrating on not being conformed into the pattern of this world, the way the world thinks, the way the world does things, the way the world makes decisions. We're different. We have a, we have a, a great shepherd of our soul to look to. Amen? And he's got a good plan for us. So God speaks to Israel. He speaks to Jacob in a dream, in a vision. And God says, I am here. And God tells Israel, do not fear to go down to Egypt. So he basically says, go ahead. Don't fear to go down to Egypt. Go down to Egypt. And he, said, he tells him three things that he's going to do. He says, I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you. And I will bring you back again. Amen? Now, who's he talking to? Is he talking to Jacob specifically? No, Jacob's going to go down there. He's going to die, right? He is going to physically die, but he's going to bring Israel. He's going to bring Israel down, and he's going to make Israel a great nation there, and he's going to bring Israel out, and he's going to bring Israel back into the land of Canaan. And when he brings them back into the land of Canaan on that occasion, he's giving them the land, and they're going to possess the land. Amen? And so this is the the plan of God. And, and this is where basically God is saying in so many words, I will lead you. I will lead you. And we need to understand that as Christians. I will make you a great nation there. I will lead you. I will go down with you. I will surely bring you up again. I will lead you. So Israel got up from Beersheba and he headed down to Egypt with everything he had. He took all of his family and his possessions with him. Now, so that's the first point. God leads our lives. Secondly, tonight, if you're taking notes, God fulfills our lives. Let's go back to the text, verse 8. It says this. Now, these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. And the sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal. And the, sons, and the son of a Canaanite woman. And the sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And the sons of Judah were Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron, Namul. And the sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron. And the sons of Zebulun were Sered, Elon, and Jalil. And these were the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padam Aaron with his daughter Dinah. And all the persons, his sons and daughters, were 33. The sons of Gad were Siphion, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eridai, and Ereli. And the sons of Asher were Jimna, Eshua, Isui, Berai, and Sarah, their sister, uh, whom Laban gave to Leah's daughter, and these 
These were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban had gave to his daughter, to Leah's daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, were Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, uh, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin were Bela, Becher, uh, Eshbel, Gera, Naaman, Ai, Rosh, uh, Mupim, Huppam, and Ard. And these were the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. And the sons of Dan was Hushim. And the sons of Naphtali were Jazeel, Gudi, Jezer, Shalem. And these were the sons of Billah, whom Laban had gave to Rachel, his daughter. And she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body, besides Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And all the sons of Joseph who were with him in Egypt were born two persons. And all the persons of the house of Jacob who went up to Egypt were 70. So God fulfills our lives. Now, we just read through a bunch of names. And if you're reading the Bible, if you come to this passage, you come to other passages, there's genealogies, there's lists of names. This happens a lot in Scripture. And sometimes you get bogged down. Whenever you come to lists, you come to genealogies. But let me just tell you, there's, there, you know, there's, there's no filler in the Bible. There's no, there's no uh, reason, you know, there's not, not a reason for these names being here. These names are very significant uh, in, in telling us what's going on and what God is doing. Remember, God had, had told him that he was going to take him down there and he was going to make him a great nation. And down in Egypt, right? We just read it in the earlier part of the text. Go down to Egypt, it's okay, I'm going to make you a great nation there. Now wait a second. Did not God tell the very same thing to Abraham, his grandfather? I'm going to make you a father. He says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. His name went from Abram to Abraham. You're going to be a father of many nations. And it took him many, many years to finally have one son by Sarah all the way up until he was 100. He lived all, he lived decades waiting for God to fulfill this promise. And here, after all these decades, one son, one son, Isaac, the son of the promise, now, God is on a slow plan here, <laughs> you know? I mean, we could, you know, we, Mary Jo and I have been married for a few years now. We've got three boys. Some of you have kids, you know? Here's Abraham waiting all these times, and one son, and wait a second, the promise is I'm going to be the father of many nations. But he gives the same promise to his his son Isaac, and he gives the same promise to his son Jacob. And so the one son of Abraham, Isaac, becomes Jacob. Jacob becomes the 12 son, his 12 sons, who become really the 12 leaders. They become 12 tribes of the nation, and then those go out from there. So you went from one, one commentator put, put it this way. It took uh, 
from the time God called Abraham, it took at least 25 years to add one son, Isaac. It took Isaac 60 years to add another son, the son of Israel, Jacob. It took 50 or 60 years for Jacob to add 12 sons and one daughter. But over the next 400 years, as, they, as God takes them down, it's going to go from 70 sons, 70 men that are going to go down into Egypt. And in 400 years, that 70 men is going to come to over 600,000 men. And with women and children, a lot of scholars put the number at about 2 million people that came out of the land of Egypt, out of, of Egyptian slavery. So going from Abraham and Sarah, just a couple, okay, you know, God, you're leading us out of Ur of the Chaldees, you know, and you got this big plan, we're going to be the father of many nations. It went from those two to two million coming out of Egypt. Okay, so God has an amazing plan. Now, there's something to be said about uh, God, the fulfillment of God's plan, and we see it in the names and the numbers. We see it a lot of times in the scriptures, in the names and the numbers, as God fulfills the plan. And, and this text is no different because we have this number, 70. 70 men that go down to Egypt that are a part of Israel. And I want to take you back to Babel for a second. So we're in, we're in uh, Genesis 46 tonight. We got, I want to take you all the way back to Genesis 11, just for a minute, okay? When God, when, remember when they were building the tower, it was probably a, uh, you know, one of the, what they called an, uh, a ziggurat. It was actually like a, you know, it was a pagan worship place where you would have this uh, kind of temple on the top of it that would reach to the stars, that would reach to the gods in, in, in communication with the gods, right? So God said, we're going to go down there and we're going to confuse the languages because man is not... You know, they're, they're, they're not spreading out and, and multiplying and filling the earth. They're congregating in, in, in and around here. And, and, and we're just going to go down there and we're going to just break it up. And we're going to give the people over to these gods that they want. Now, where, this, where you have to see this is um, right before that passage in Genesis 11, you have the generations of Noah. And in those names, you have what's called the Table of Nations. And we spent some time on this way back. It's been many, long time ago now, okay? So anyways, you go back to that chapter. We talked about the Table of Nations. There were 70 nations that were, that were there in that uh, Table of Nations, the, the generations of Noah. And so you go down through each one of those names, and some of them are recognizable. Some of them you read over and you go, who are these people? You know, um, But these were the 70 nations. Now, when God broke things up and gave the, the people over to the sons of God, he broke those nations up and he divided mankind according to these languages and according to these, these gods, right? The sons of God, the Meneha Elohim, okay? So what is this about? with the 70 men of Jacob, of Israel, going down into Egypt. God is going to take 70 men of Egypt, and he's going to put them down in, uh, of, of, of Israel, I'm sorry. 
He's going to take them and he's going to put them down in Egypt and they're going to grow for 400 years and he's going to bring this nation out. It's, going to be a, it's not going to be just 70 men. It's going to be a nation of 2 million people. He's going to bring them out and he's going to bring them into the land of Canaan. And through the succession of the years throughout the rest of the Bible, Messiah is going to come and he is going to lay down his life and be the the redemption. He's going to be the sacrifice once and for all for anyone who would come back to the Lord and through what God did there and all the way up to Pentecost, right after the resurrection, there there was what we call the reclaiming of the nations and opening it up to the gospel, to the nations. And so what you see is a a thread of the plan of God that goes from the the first initial uh, prophecy that God's going to bring about this plan of salvation to the generations of Noah, the tables of nations, the disinheriting of the nations, the 70 men of Israel planted in the land of Egypt and bringing the nation out into this amazing plan. Now, For some of you, you go, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Thanks for sharing. Some of you are like, okay, thanks. (laughs) How does that apply to me? Whenever you see something like that, and maybe it's a little bit too much for you tonight, and you're like, okay, I'm trying to follow you, and I lost you about halfway through that, okay? Let me put it this way for you then. What it is is God is working a perfect plan, in the world, in the earth, with the nations of the earth. And if God is doing that with the nations and he's doing that with his plan, he's got a plan for you and he's going to perfect and fulfill that plan that he has for you. And so if God is working together all these things in such a way to bring a perfect plan of redemption to ultimately reclaim the nations for himself, remember the psalmist says, ask of me and I will give you what? The nations. Is an inheritance. This is what the this is what the father said to the son. And if he's working his will and his plan to that perfection, don't you know, Christian, that he's going to lead you? Don't you know that he's going to lead and guide you? Don't you know that he's got his hand upon you? Don't you know that you're the apple of his eye? Don't you know that he's got a, a, a walkway out in front of you, and he's going to lead you in the way that he's going to go? He's going to lead you with his eye. And we can be glad about that. And so God, God's going to fulfill his promises, his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the people of Israel. And God's going to fulfill his plan and his covenant in you and in the church and what he's doing. And, and I'm going to tell you, there's a mystery to it all. <laughs> you know, sometimes we think we've got little pieces of it figured out in this puzzle, this big puzzle, this big tapestry. And on top of it all, there's still like a mystery to it. God, God is weaving this tapestry. He's putting these pieces together in just an incredible, incredible plan. Now, let's wrap it up tonight. God reconciles our lives. Let's go back to the text, verse 28. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. And so Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him, and he fell on his neck, and he wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, 
Now let me die, since I have seen your face, because you are still alive. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up, or Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all they have. And so it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? That you shall say, Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. God reconciles our life. Jacob sends Judah to point the way to Goshen. This is the place where they're going to go, where they're going to to settle. This is the place that that, uh, Joseph is lined up. So Jacob chooses Judah to point the way. Goshen actually means to draw near. And so it's interesting that Jacob chose Judah to lead them to the land that means to draw near. Judah is a name that means praise. And praise is how we draw near to God. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and we enter his courts with praise. Psalm 100 verse 4. Now at this time, Jacob, they come down and they have this meeting. Jacob is reconciled to his father. All these years, up until now, Jacob has lived with believing that his son Joseph was, was mauled by a, a wild animal. Remember the brothers brought back the, the large coat with the big sleeves? Remember, and they took the, the kid of the goats, the blood. They killed a kid of the goats, and they, they put the blood of that goat on the jacket, the coat, and they took it back to their father and said, look, this is what happened. And so all these years, Jacob has lived with his understanding that that Joseph was lost. But now that news has come to him that Joseph is alive and now he's being reconciled. Joseph is being reconciled to his father. Jacob is being reconciled to his son. And it was an emotional reunion. The text tells us Joseph fell on his neck and wept a good while. Can you imagine that scene there? Um, and, and, And what an incredible, and remember, Jacob loved Joseph <laughs> so much. And so what, what an emotional reconciliation. And, uh, and so then the text really closes with Joseph giving them some advice. He, he told them to tell Pharaoh, if Pharaoh asked what their occupation was, he told them to tell Pharaoh that they were shepherds. And it's interesting because the text ends, look at that, verse 34. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. <laughs> so what? <laughs> so Joseph's the governor of Egypt. His family's coming down in these chariots and carts and whatever provided by Pharaoh. And by the way, dad... And brothers, when you come down here and Pharaoh asks you what your occupation is, tell him that you're a shepherd. And every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. What? What's happening here? See, God is bringing them down there, but he doesn't want, he he wants to make them a great nation there. 
And so he doesn't necessarily want them to come down there and just come and be a part of the Egyptian culture and be a part of the, the paganism and the, and the, 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 uh, the polytheistic uh, religion of, of Egypt. So he says, tell them you're a shepherd. Tell them you're all shepherds. Walk into Egypt and say, yeah, here we are. We're all shepherds. We're an abomination. <laughs> right? We're just an abomination. Okay, great. Well, we're going to have you all live down here. Yeah. We've got a place over here for you. It's called Goshen. All right? So you go up there to Goshen, and you just do your thing and do your shepherd thing and have all your livestock and all that and just do your thing. What's this? It's the perfect plan of God. Right. It's the perfect plan of God to bring them down into the land, into the country, so they're the best way to say it, they're in and not of, right? They're in the world, but not of the world. They're in Egypt, but not of it. Why? Because we're, we're shepherds. We're an abomination to the Egyptians. And the message is for us that when we've been reconciled to our heavenly father, we've, we've come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been brought from death to life, and we've been brought into a relationship with him. And there's, there's a separation that we have from the world. And, and, and Jesus put it this way, I, 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 I don't take you out of the world, I'll leave you in the world. But you're not of the world. So, so, so there needs to be that separation, there needs to be that understanding that, that we, we may live here on this earth, we may live in this nation, we may, we may be here at this time. But we need to have an understanding that there's a separation. There's a separation and the world may look at us and say, an abomination Take down the poster from the wall, from the mall, Greg Laurie. We don't want to see you with your book. Okay, great. Well, we may be an abomination, but we're called out, separated unto God as a holy people, as a royal priesthood of believers, a holy nation. And, and God is bringing up, and just as he brought a nation out of Egypt, he's going to bring, a, he's going to bring his nation out of this world and, and we're going to go on to live with, with the Lord forever and ever and ever. And we have got to learn that God is leading us and guiding us. And, the, and one of the things that we need to, to learn is that God wants us to be here and he wants us to be an influence, but he doesn't want the, the, the culture around us to influence us. He doesn't want us to be conformed to the pattern of this world. He didn't want them to come in and, and be conformed to Egypt, although that would kind of happen a little bit. That type of stuff happens. But God's perfect plan is that they wouldn't be conformed to the, 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 the ways of Egypt. And God doesn't want us to be conformed to the ways of Egypt either. He's called us out. And he says, tell Pharaoh that you're shepherds. Now what's, what's the word for us? We're the sheep of his pasture. Amen? Who are you? If Pharaoh asks, tell him you're his sheep. Tell him you're his sheep. And that's what you need to... And, 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 and one of the things I tell new believers, and not just I, but this, this is, you know, there's the public profession of faith to say, like, I identify with Christ. I identify with Christ. I'm with Christ. Right? And I think it's a good thing that if you give your life to Christ and no one knows it, 
That's not a good thing. You need to identify yourself as someone who was with Christ. You need to identify yourself as a sheep, as one of, of the Lord's sheep, that, he, that you have a shepherd, that you are the Lord's, that you're part of the kingdom of God. And if you go around trying to live your life without identifying yourself to those around you as one of the sheep of his pasture, you, it, you're going to find it very hard, very difficult not to be conformed to the ways of Egypt. And so Pharaoh, Pharaoh asks you, tell him you're a shepherd. You're a shepherd. If the world asks you, tell him you're one of his sheep. You need to identify with the shepherd. Amen? Amen. And God is going to lead you. God is going to lead you in your life. You say, well, I want to be led by the Lord. But you haven't identified as one of his sheep. You don't even want to do that. Maybe you should start there. Maybe you should start putting yourself on the altar, identifying as one of his, and see where the Lord leads you from there. See what God begins to do in your life. See what changes God begins to make in your life. And you're going to walk right into the center of the will of the Lord. Amen? Why? Because he's going to lead you. He's going to lead you. He's your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters.